Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the sixth episode of Center Stand, the motorcycle industry podcast brought to you by the Progressive International Motorcycle Shows. Now, from what I hear, the number one topic of discussion in the White House press room right now <laughs> is the huge announcement that the entire IMS tour is going to go outdoors. This is all they're talking about <laughs> in Washington, D.C. right now. That's right. The IMS tour, all the indoor shows uh, for the balance of 2020 and into 2021, the schedule that you're familiar with, all those shows are canceled. There's going to be a whole new season of IMS going outdoors. The timing's going to shift to warm weather months. There's a lot more information, and you can sign up to be on the leading edge of that information at imsoutdoors.com. So that is the major hot topic being discussed on Fox News, on MSNBC, <laughs> on you name it. That's every, That's all Jake Tapper is talking about. It's endless. That's right. IMS Outdoors is coming up. So make sure you dealers who are listening in on this, pay attention to that schedule. All right, so our big topic for episode six of the Center Stand podcast is all about increasing female ridership in motorcycling. So here's a couple of fast facts from the last IMS tour. About 48% per, 48% of the participants in Discover the Ride were female. Discover the Ride was a program that I got to run that we put together at the IMS tour it was riding electric motorcycles indoors, and it was aimed specifically at first-time riders and non-riders. 48% of the participants to date have been female. So that is a very successful program. And in 2019, the MIC reported that 19% of motorcycle owners were female, which is the highest they've recorded. Previously, it was like 14% in 2014. But frankly, I think that number is low. I think a lot of husbands and boyfriends have been buying motorcycles that their wives and girlfriends have been riding or their partners have been riding. But that said, uh, the numbers validate that there is still a huge opportunity for growth in motorcycling for female ridership. So today's episode uh, is going to unpack and explore how motorcycling and power sports can increase female ridership and customers in the future. I want to welcome two fantastic guests. I'm very excited about this show. Um, our guests tonight are Jamie Dempsey, Development and Production Director at Atwild Apparel, and Miss Portia Taylor, owner and editor-in-chief of Black Girls Ride magazine. So those of you who have to look while you listen, it's atwyld.com and blackgirlsride.com. Those are the two websites you need to be paying attention to while we're talking. Ladies, welcome to Center Stand. Woohoo! Wow, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so much I am, for the I'm so I'm so fired up. Uh, uh, Jamie, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire up. I'm gonna start off with you. Okay. Okay. Um, give us give us um, kind of a a little bit of your background in power sports and sort of an overview of what the Atwild uh, product range is all about and kind of what differentiates you from other brands that are out there. Okay, well, to try to put it in a little nutshell, um, I've been riding for, uh, gosh, I don't know, at this point, maybe 15 years or so. Started out like most girls I know, 
riding with a boyfriend or a group of guys that I knew. I had, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends that rode. I didn't know any, if I saw one ride past on the street, I would try and chase after her or like find her motorcycle and leave a note to be like, call me. I want to ride with you. <laughs> and, uh, eventually I was able to go to babes ride out the second one. And I met a group of girls there that I ended up riding with. And two of them became my business partners in Atwild, um, Anya and Corinne, Anya Violet and Corinne Mayer. And uh, we were on a ride one day. We were riding through Angela's Crest. And um, this was before we started the company, of course. And we just were riding. We stopped for lunch. And we were just talking about what we were wearing. And we looked at each other. We were all wearing All Saints leather jackets and Urban Outfitters jeans. Nothing that would protect us if we went down. Nothing that would help our uh, us from getting road rash or anything like that. So, and we were asking ourselves, why, why is this? What, what's the problem here? And we realized this, we just place more importance on the way we look and on fashion than we do on our safety. And, you know, it's a sad truth that uh, we think that a lot of girls do that. And we each come from a uh, fashion background. We all work in the, um, surf, surf, uh, snow world, the action sports community in Southern California in different fields, myself in development, Anya in design and Corinne in graphics and art. So we thought, Hey, maybe we could actually do this together. We could make the clothes that we would want to wear that other girls that we think would want to wear. And our goal being to get girls that ride that don't wear any safety gear to wear something, something that would protect them if they went down. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And so, so your 100% of your market is female ridership. Is that correct? There's not a, a, a men's line? Not yet. Anyway, we get tons of guys that, that approach us that are email us and ask, you know, do you make this in a men's version? When are you going to start making men's gear? And we're like, we didn't realize that you guys had a lack of gear out there. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's just we've just created this space, um, you know, for for fashionable gear. And we've created this aesthetic that has been drawing men as well as women. So who knows? Maybe down the line we'll we'll release a little men's line. Well, I look forward to seeing what that is. Uh, and but. Uh, I, you know, it is, it is a powerful statement to say that you're, uh, uh, you know, building gear, um, for women by women. And that's the, the truth of the company. That's not just some marketing line, right? That's the, yeah, that's exactly the, it. Yeah. yeah. All right. And so, um, you know, in your activities, how are, how at wild as a brand, what are you guys doing? I know that, I know that you, uh, you sell all your apparel to women, but, how do you support, you know, increased female riderships? You know, are you increasing, I mean, are people seeing apparel and going, that's cool stuff, so I want to go motorcycling? Or are they already motorcycling and then finding your product? What is, what is uh, how, how is it working? I think it's both, um, because mm. we do, we not only have our, our moto gear collection, but we do um, a lifestyle section of our brand. And that is just kind of fulfilling those aspiring motorcyclists that like the style, they like the look, they, they like the, the idea of adventure, 
um, and the thrill of what motorcycles would have to offer, but they're not quite ready to go all in. So, you know, they'll, they'll buy a jumpsuit or kind of just lightly get involved that way. Maybe read our blogs a little bit and start reading about other women that ride and, and find encouragement there and uh, reach out to us. Some of us, some people reach out to us by email and just ask us, you know, how do I get involved more? And, and we're happy to answer questions like that. So yeah, it's a little bit of both. People that already ride will do tons of events and, and meet them and have them try our stuff on and get their opinion on our gear. And we're very, very interactive within the community. So the bridge across to our next guest here is that um, that idea of stories. And uh, that is something that Portia Taylor has been telling for a long time. Um, and Portia uh, is now in the publishing industry with Black Girls Ride magazine, telling stories, but uh, hosting events and that sort of thing. Portia, would you please give us a little background of Black Girls Ride magazine, you know, how that started um, and maybe how it's even changed in uh, from your original vision. Yeah, um, so Black Girls Ride magazine was started in 2011. I was at a crossroads in my life trying to decide how to um, get into the next phase of whatever my passion was going to be. And at the time, I was in love with motorcycling. Um, I've got a history degree at UCLA, and so I thought I could do a magazine um, for women, particularly women of color, because I noticed that there just wasn't any uh, media speaking to that segment. There wasn't much representation of women in general, but women of color in particular in motorsports. So I wanted to be um, a vessel to highlight uh, the stories of women that I knew in my community whether they be racers or riders or clubs. I also wanted to be a source of information for women who might be um, shopping for products, whether it's gear or motorcycles or just looking for that next adventure. And I think it has, um, it's kind of morphed into not just the magazine, but it's become a movement, um, which is now global. We've got readers all over the world that identify with Black Girls Ride, and um, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary in 2021. So we're preparing for all of these events and things that, that we're going to be hosting. Um, and yeah, so we, we've kind of gone from just a um, reporting um, platform to an actual event and ride platform, social event. Um, we're actually now um, getting into a bit of social activism. Um, as it pertains to police brutality and things that we're seeing in our community. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's on the agenda. But we really, really just identify with being women in motorsports and riders, and we are happy to be a part of the conversation. Well, I, I want to I address something, like, right off the bat, right? There there's probably old stereotypes and, and, you know, this podcast goes around uh, the nation and I've, we've gotten notes from folks outside of America, you know, who listen to this, but, but black girls ride may for some people have a connotation of just being strictly, you know, an, uh, an urban minded thing or, um, you know, or something that is uh, something straight from the city, but you're, uh, you ride across the country, and you—I mean, yeah. I mean, can, 
just can you just like crap all over that stereotype for me for just a minute? <laughs> um, well, so Black Girls Ride is unapologetically um, geared to African American females, but it's inclusive. It's not exclusive, meaning we cover everything, all types of riding events. Um, all types of riders. And I myself am a cross-country rider. I love to ride from Los Angeles to New York annually. Uh, and, you know, I, I ride a Indian. Um, I love it to death. The new challenger is amazing, by the way. Um, and, you know, our community tends to ride more than just bike nights. You know, I think that, I think biker boys, which was kind of what got me into, into riding in the first place, gave that vision of the urban street rider on a sport bike going to local clubhouses and doing stunts and, you know, just kind of racing from light to light. But I have learned that the, the culture um, of biking, particularly in the African-American community, is actually broader than that. And we're no different than any other rider. We like to take long distance trips. Um, you know, I'll, I'll average anywhere from 25,000 to 30,000 miles annually, depending on, you know, what my calendar is. So, you know, yeah, this, the stereotype doesn't really hold up. Um, there's tons of iron butt riders who, uh, you know, who, who are African-American and, and uh, you know, both men and women, by the way. And I think there's a stereotype that we tend to be passengers, but um, a study has been done that shows that actually 52% of motorcycle owners in the African-American community are African-American women. Now, that's not to say, just, just like you mentioned, that's not to say that we're not buying bikes for our husbands, boyfriends, and partners, <laughs> but it's something to be said that we are actually... Uh, the majority owners. And so we need to have our dealers realize that. I don't think they realize that fact. Yeah, I mean, that that is absolutely spot on. And, and, and you know, and from, I think, current math, it's 51% of the population is female. Is that right? And so um, speaking from experience and getting uh, getting... <laughs> getting outvoted on many, many issues in my life. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, you know, so, so to say that that a higher percentage of that uh, in the African-American community uh, are female motorcycle owners, that's a huge thing. And that should be really eye-opening for dealers out there. Um, Jamie, when I, when I walk into a typical sort of big box motorcycle dealership, uh, I'm not seeing like a big at wild neon sign, you know, I'm not seeing like slat walls full of your product. So you are, you're getting in front of, of customers in a different way. Um, can you tell us like how, um, how you guys are, are connecting with customers, maybe in a, in a different environment than sort of traditional retail? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could consider us a little more grassroots, um, we're a small brand. There's only three of us that run every aspect of it. Although that our our presence is a lot larger than that, people always think that we're this big brand and and email us all these customer service questions. And I'm like, I'm sorry. There's only three of us. We'll get back to you right away. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so the way that we kind of attract our customers is is personally by getting out there 
and going to all these motorcycle events across the nation. I mean, IMS, of course, one of our best shows. Giddy up. uh, That's right. And Babes Right Out, uh, which is specifically, you know, that's our biggest event of the year. It's like 5,000 women that we can talk to, uh, interact with, get to try on our clothes, get their opinions. We really, really listen to what they're looking for and what is how things are fitting them and how they want them to fit. Um, that is the, the biggest accomplishment for us is just to get our fit right. We go to Mama Tried, Dream Roll, so events that are not just women, um, but also, you know, all gender events, male guys and girls. And, and we get a lot of guys that come to our booth that talk about like, how do I get my girl into riding? Like what would be the best way to get her excited about this? And, Oh, I think if she got to wear this leather jacket, she would want to ride more. <laughs> right. So, I totally get that. Yeah. 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 And we do a lot of, um, a lot of social media, um, interaction we have our ambassadors a handful of girls across the country that wear our gear and they each have their own stories um so we tell those stories a lot we like to you know we like girls to reach out to us if they have a story to tell and we want to spread it and we want to connect other women with each other um so it's not just about the gear for us it's it's the lifestyle as well so i don't want i'm not asking you jamie to kind of build your own competition here okay (laughs) All right. But um, it's, it is it is a question about competition. Um, I know from my past experience, um, I've done a lot of programs uh, to elevate female ridership in my career. Um, that's just been something that has been important to me when I was with Aprilia, when I was with Indian for the 25 odd years I've been in this industry. Um, so uh, I know that female owned businesses are are equally competitive to male owned. Right. Um, but female owned businesses, when they understand that there it's another female owned businesses, there tends to be like support in growth. There's support in that community. Um, so what's your advice for a woman who thinks she's got a good idea in motorcycling and wants to start something, whether it's a, a, a apparel or an event or whatever it may be, what, what, you know, what's your advice to her? Um, I think, well, for us, it was a big part of reaching out to other people that have been there and done it and could offer advice. And that's not just reaching out to other women. We reached out to, you know, men that were successful in the industry and kind of understood what made them successful and how could that apply to us? What kind of knowledge could they give us that we could kind of take and become our own to guide our own path. Uh, We found investors that had more than just money to offer. They could offer advice um, and knowledge in whatever part of the industry that you're going for, I think is a good idea. Um, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I think really it is just uh, communication and just kind of doing a lot of research. It's, It's a ton about community and Portia. Um, you know, what, what you, you were saying earlier about the inclusiveness of the African-American, African-American uh, community of riders is, you know, before I met you, um, I was uh, I was doing a gig with Victory Motorcycles and we went out to Myrtle Beach Bike Week, also known as Black Bike Week. And mm-hmm. it was my first time going to that event. And I'd been to Daytona a couple dozen times. I'd been to, I hadn't been to, well, I did a little bit of Sturgis stuff, but I did, I, I was kind of a super bike snob. So I was into, 
into road racing mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing, right? And mm -hmm. the thing that struck me at Black Bike Week was that it didn't matter what you were riding. It didn't matter if you were on a dual sport bike, if you were on a sport bike, if you were on a cruiser, if you were on a, a Japanese cruiser or a Harley or a or a, a custom Arlen Ness bike or whatever, it did not matter. What mattered mm -hmm. was that you rode. Um, right. and, uh, and, what and, and what I saw out of those groups was that um, a, uh, I will call it a sort of shepherding. There, there was this sense of community that, that the, the riders meetings, um, uh, you know, before a ride or before a thing, we're, we're very heartfelt about keeping people safe, about um, respecting other riders, you know, with, and, and that, I didn't see that happen when I would go on like an Aprilia group ride in Daytona or whatever. That was, you know, it was a different thing. And everybody was on sport bikes and stuff like that. So um, can you speak a little bit specifically to the fact that that from what I see from, from your world that you're the master of, that inclusiveness <laughs> is, uh, it's, it's not, it, it's like you're not even conscious about it. It just is. Is that right? Yeah, well, you know, we're rooted in a Christian background and in the African-American community, motorcycling is the one area where you will see all generations socializing. So you, you might have your grandparents, your your mom, your dad, your sisters, your cousins, your husband, uh, your wife, all in the same motorcycle club. And and the kids have been raised in this culture since they were toddlers, you know. Um, that's not that's not out of the norm. So we just have a a way, I think, of wanting to uh, you know, protect one another and it's you know, there are folks who haven't found the community and you'll find a new rider. That's kind of how I got picked up um, as a new rider. I didn't know anyone at all on the Black Bike set when I started riding. I rode to a bike night and there was a Black woman there who literally took me by the hand and said, I'm going to teach you how to ride. And what, what were you, so, over. sorry, Portia, what, what were you yeah. riding at that time? What, what motorcycle so, were you? My very first bike, was a Kawasaki Ninja ZX-XR. I think it was a 97. Um, and I loved it. It was a beautiful bike. It wasn't... Uh, I, what I didn't know, though, is that it had issues. Um, but, you know, I, I just got the bike. Um, I made the decision to get the motorcycle because I got a great bonus check from my job. At the time, I was an entertainment promotions manager at Adidas. So I got a bonus because of, um, of some stuff that I had done. And I had an option to either buy a motorcycle or buy a big screen TV. And so I talked to my right. cousin. My cousin talked me into buying the bike. I bought the bike and it never really looked back. You know, it really changed my life. And so that's what I rode to. Like the first week I got the bike, I rode to a bike night. It was a bike night in Los Angeles on Sunset and Western at a Fat Burger. <laughs> and I I teetered and tottered along all the way down Sunset. At the time, I was living in Brentwood on Sunset Boulevard. So, like, near UCLA, I rode all the way down into Hollywood, um, you know, kind of teetering and, and just making my way. And I got there late, but there was, like, this one club that was still there. And they saw me coming in, and they came over and, and introduced themselves. And right off, like you said, it felt like community. 
It, mm-hmm. it felt like you're one of us now. Welcome to the tribe. And, um, you know, I'll never forget federal. That was her, her name is federal. That's her because she had a federal government job. So that was her, her bike set nickname. That's another thing. Everybody, everybody has nicknames um, on the black bike set. So, you know, she would take me after she got off of work. She would take me uh, maybe two or three times a week and, at night and teach me how to ride on the streets of L.A. And we would ride on the 10 freeway. And if I was too afraid to go fast, she would um, take me off the freeway and let me get comfortable on the streets. And it just was a nurturing thing. Uh-huh. And I think that's, that's what's at the root of our community. It is nurturing. So, so... Portia, I know in the events that you, that you have run, okay, let me put it this way. I know that if Portia Taylor had a bus, it would be a large bus, and it would be fully <laughs> loaded with your allies, and you would not want to specifically run over anybody with that bus. But without naming names, <laughs> let's back that bus up over your worst dealership event experience. You know, talk to me about something... You don't, you don't have to name the dealership or even the state it was in or, or what brand yeah. if you don't want. But I know right. you have set up events at dealerships that mm-hmm. you thought were going to be good mm-hmm. that did not turn out that way. So we are, a lot of our audience are, are dealerships and industry. Talk to us about the failure on the part of that dealership. You know, I would much rather celebrate the ones who got it, but we can so. The, on the on the downside, there are dealers who may not, uh, let's say they have been talked into participating in a Black Girls Ride event by uh, the corporate offices, right? Mm-hmm. They've been kind of persuaded. And you can tell those dealers because it's so begrudging from the, from the initial point of conversation. It's just, oh, I can't believe we have to do We have to do this. But we got to. We got to make them happy, so fine. We'll go ahead and, you know, we'll we'll participate. And, um, you know, so what makes a bad event is the staff doesn't really meet or greet the new riders that you're bringing into their establishment, right? For some some of the dealers may have not really had much contact with um, black female riders, and the ones that get it are really engaged. When people come in, they greet them. They want to learn about what types of bikes they're riding. You know, they want to, uh, you know, they might talk to them about, uh, you know, what their longest trip has been. You know, uh, what do you like about the bike that you're on? What, what features might you want in the future? You know what I mean? Those are the people that get it. And they, and they take the time out to become a resource. But then you have the dealers who really are just kind of like, eh, here's a room, uh, here's some food, how about it? You see uh-huh. when you're done to clean up. You know, it's, it just feels like um, you're kind of a, a begrudging guest in their house. And it's like, okay, I didn't mean to trespass. I thought we were just potential customers. So, so, so what you're what yeah. you're hitting on is if that if that dealer does not understand the the commitment to community that your group of riders is bringing in there and they're not good hosts, um, they're going to lose that community. They're not going to sell product to that community. Is that right? Right. It's, it's a, it's a hard, well, the thing is, you know, some, so uh, without mentioning brands, right. There's, 
there's one or two brands, maybe three, that have the lion's share of the business, right? And are they, I are, they from, I, well, are they from Milwaukee? I mean, we're not going to be specific. <laughs> but I will say are they that. from California? <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say, but I will say that um, I work with all brands, right? I've worked with all brands. And the ones who get it are the ones who are interested in making money in communities they haven't had an opportunity to meet personally. Mm-hmm. And those people tend to win over, you know, they, they actually do make some sales if they, if they care enough to build relationships. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and the way I look at it is, you know, our job is to educate our readers. So if we're hosting an event at, in your space and people come and we, you know, we kind of do our educational program, that's our job, right? And our job is to have you guys, um, or to have a dealer as a host and to thank them for graciously offering us their resources. Right. It is not to procure sales for you. It is not, you know what I'm saying? That's not my job. It is not to give you leads. That is the job of your, your sales staff and your team. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if we bring you new people that you might not otherwise meet or greet, I would think that a dealership will have a plan in place to somehow build this relationship. Gotcha. So, J- Jamie, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, do you have a similar story about dealing with, maybe it's not a dealership specifically, but is it, you know, industry or people who just don't get it? Is this like, fixable do you ignore them and just move on or is you know what uh, how do you, how do you tackle that same sort of situation no i think Porsche hit the the nail on the head there with it it's all about finding because we're you know we have a handful of retailers and dealers um that we work with we we do a lot of direct to consumer work but we we try and uh, expand our reach by having our clothing sold in different boutiques and dealerships that we handpick. And it's that we expect the people that are selling our product to engage in the product and the customers and to be, you know, authentic, authentically excited about them getting involved with motorcycling and looking for new gear and apparel to keep them safe on the road. So it's not a matter of, you can't just throw our clothes on the floor and just expect them to sell themselves. You have to get involved. You have to bring people into the store, make them feel comfortable, talk through the technical properties, help them with fit. You have to be hands-on, which is what we do at all of our events. Uh, really listen to the women that are coming into the store and what they're looking for. And that is how you're going to get their sales. Um, You have to make them feel comfortable and you have to make them feel welcome. So we've had some experiences where we've had to go in and kind of hold their hand through it and be like, this is how you need to, you know, talk to your customers and our customers in particular. And this is, these are the properties of these clothings that you should be pushing to them and explaining to them why they're so worth, uh, you know, what they're paying for. So has your has your strategy changed at all in regards to like sort of pre-pandemic versus like our current pandemic situation? 
Um, how has that changed? Uh, well, yeah, we definitely had to pivot in terms of we we go to all these events and Babes Right Out being one of our major events that should should be held later this month, but it's canceled. So we don't get to, like I said, be in front of people in person. So we're doing a lot more social media interaction. We also, uh, we filmed uh, kind of Revzilla style videos on our products, um, you know, where we, we talk about all the properties. We have a model who's wearing it so you can see what it looks like on a body. So to try and give that uh, in-person experience virtually. Mm-hmm. And, and help uh, give our customers a place where they can go if you know they're not the store they're not able to go into the store and have someone explain everything to them they can go online and click on the link in our website and they can see it on a model they can hear us talk about what materials are being used what tests have passed and and what uh, situations that this gear will protect them in um, right. So yeah, that's that's been a major addition to our website. That's been really useful. So so Porsche, if the community can't get together at bike night, are more of the community finding you online? Are you actually finding your engagement picking up in in this sort of pandemic stretch we're in? Um, you know what? I'm gonna be honest. We don't we don't really do a lot of bike nights in general. All of our stuff is. Um, is social media um and we get folks who come to our group looking as new writers to get more information so has so, that has that been picking yeah. up recently in the last three, few months or has it stayed flat i no i would say that it has picked up it, it's picked mm-hmm. up tremendously because we you know you've got a lot of people that are finding us um as they're researching ways to social distance and a great way to social distance is motorcycling so you've got a lot of ladies that want to learn what to do, what bike to ride, how do I take a class, and they're finding us, and, and we're, we're at, we've got mentors that are helping them with that process. So, you, so Portia, you participated in a lot of women-specific uh, or women-targeted rides, uh, uh, the Women's Riders World Relay, uh, the Sister Centennial Ride, where you and I got to ride together. Um, mm-hmm. You've ridden across the country many, many, many times. Um, uh, for the love of the ride, and as you say, driven by a cause these days. Um, so the the women only ride, or the women focused. I don't want to necessarily say women only because there's a lot of couples right. who are in this. But but yeah, a lot of and guys yeah, are usually invited to join. Yeah, you know, nine times out of ten. Yeah, but it, but but. <laughs> Yeah, nine times out of ten. That tenth guy, I know that guy. <laughs> that guy does not need to be there. Trust me. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, but on the on the female focus rides, um, uh, I know you speak from the heart. So, uh, and I know that your rides are perfect, Portia. I know that, right? Um, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> but. Um, if you have a critique, whether it's for your own rides or for the or the women uh, uh, focused rides, if you have a cr- critique that is constructive criticism to make them better, you know what comes to mind for you? Um, I would I would specifically critique my own ride, and um, I think that we could probably do a better job of having more. Uh, staff or volunteers available 
um, to answer questions. Um, I could probably do a better job of getting information out sooner um, because of, uh, you know, me being a, you know, a, a team, a very small team. It's oftentimes hard to, to juggle everything. Um, I think that the women rides that I've been to, they do a great job of um, planning. That's the that's the main difference I think between women focused rides and uh, general motorcycle rides. Women tend to plan and plan and plan <laughs> to the nth degree, so that when you get there, everything is laid out. All the decks are in a row. My my mentor of planning is uh, Alicia Tickenbeck. Mm-hmm. Like she is amazing at planning rides. If you've never been on any of her rides, uh, women's motorcycle tour rides, you owe it to yourself to get on and just see just how good these rides can be planned. And so I kind of take my cue from her. Um, and I think that we can always think of things that you might not. So when people plan rides, they don't always um, think of the event with other people in mind, right? So you have to think about planning your ride as if you've never been in your city, you've never been in your state, uh, you've never ridden these roads before, you've never ridden with any of the people that are in your group, and make it comfortable for that woman to come from out of town and just fit right in. That means making sure that she feels welcome. That means uh, making sure that she feels a part of the group, even if she's a solo rider. That means making sure that you've got safety protocols in place for a group ride, especially a massive group ride, so that we all feel safe. Those are just a few things right offhand that I think people could do to make their rides better. That's a great answer. I think I think your I think your your uh, uh, your ride name should be like um, Miss UN because you are you are so on. You're so good. You know I I don't think your bus has a reverse gear. I don't think you can back up. Oh already, Lord, right? you're awesome. So I, think, um, I don't think it's necessary. We can celebrate the goodness in any experience. Bro. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Thank you for that redirection. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, uh, so, I, I do want to I do want to shout out my my old uh, uh, client, Polaris Industries. I was the PR manager for Victory for years and for Indian Motorcycles. They've been doing some really amazing stuff, and Porsche has been named to a women's advisory panel called uh, Polaris Empower Sports, and I and. There's a there's I don't know there's a dozen women or so on this panel, but I want to name mm-hmm. a few of them: uh, Gavin Fax, Vicky Gray, um, uh, Kristen Matlock, Baja 1000 champion is on there. Jody Perowitz, who's an am- mm-hmm. uh, amazing woman. Kelly Yazdi, who's my friend from Wild Gypsy Tour, is is on that panel. And you, Miss Portia Taylor, are on that panel. Yeah. Um, I, I know that you've been working with uh, with uh, Indian and with Slingshot for a while, but what speak to the broader purpose of that panel? And and I'm directing. I I hope that our listeners who are with other OEMs other than Polaris listen to this and understand how powerful 
it is to have a panel of women who are helping advise you. So speak a little bit to the Polaris and Power Sports panel, would you? Um, well, first, I have to say that I am just so honored to be on this panel with so many heavy hitters and just inspirational women in power sports. I love that it, um, it brings women in from all sides of power sports, not just motorcycling or, you know, or just uh, off-roading. It, it tries to cover the gamut um, of just about every type of female rider. Um, I'm encouraged because to have an OEM that really wants to listen to women and not just have us be eye candy at their events or, uh, you know, or pay lip service to us during uh, Women's Rider Week or International Female Ride Day, you know, which is where we tend to get a little bit of their attention. Um, this is groundbreaking in that it will help shape how the women are perceived in the industry, at least from Polaris' viewpoint. And I just think that it's, it's a, it says a lot about the brand um, to step up and pull this council together. And I'm um, just so excited to be a part of that team. Well, congratulations to you and to Polaris for leading the way. And, uh, I, you know, all the other OEMs out there, all the people who are waiting for me to name them specifically, I'm not going to do that tonight, but uh, um, it's time to step up. Uh, there's there's great opportunity here. So, um, uh, Jamie, uh, I want to turn around to you as a, as a, as a businesswoman. Um, both of you guys are business women within this industry, but Jamie, I'm going to start off with you. Um, uh, what advice would you share to other women looking to enter the industry on the OEM side or, you know, with their own business? We touched on some of that already, but, but there's, there's something about being a woman in power sports and, you know, what, what is that piece of advice you can impart to them? Oh, um, I guess I would say just reach out to other women in the industry right now. There's, you know, there's a good amount of us and as you know, they or definitely I have experienced, uh, we're super supportive of each other. So we will help, uh, guide each other through, through all the difficulties of starting a business. Um, and just do your research, you know, really get to know before you go take the step to do it. Do your research, find out exactly, you know, what void you're trying to fill and how you're going to fill it. Um, I, I don't know. That's really all I got. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now, Portia, you did not know what you didn't know. Right. Am I right in saying that? Right. That's so you dove, you dove in and, uh, and you've been successful on your, on your side of the business. What advice would you give from your perspective to uh, women who want to be in power sports professionally? Um, I would say don't let anyone tell you no. Um, you know, I think that you can figure out what it is you offer to power sports and just keep knocking on doors until your vision comes to fruition. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of times we don't we don't know that there are the same opportunities in 
uh, you know, the job that you're currently doing, there's probably a version of it in power sports. And if power sports is your passion, it'll be a whole lot more fun to go to work for something that you love to do. Um, and I, I learned that a long time ago. I learned that when I was at, at UCLA. Um, I had a friend of mine, we were just kids, but he just asked me, hey, what do you want to do? You go to UCLA, you can pretty much get a job at any company, so you might as well go after what you like. And that's how I ended up in the music industry. That's how I ended up in the sneaker business. That's how I ended up in motorcycles. And so I think it holds up, you know, apply your passion to what it is you want to do for a living. Yeah, I think Porsche is right about that, especially within the power sport community. I mean, it, it takes a certain amount of courage to throw your leg over a motorcycle to begin with. So I think that any woman that wants to further that and go into the power sports industry, just take that same amount of courage and confidence and just apply it to the direction you want to go in. All right, I'm put I'm going to put a reverse mirror on this on that question. Okay. okay. And that is to imagine that uh, this is this is the question I end all our shows with. And that's to imagine that you have a room full of the power sports industry, dealer owners, people who are with like, you know, finance companies and all that sort of thing. Okay. Not necessarily women who want to come into power sports, but the people who are already in power sports now. Um, give me a couple sentences you would say to them to increase sales to your different markets. Portia, why don't you go first? Um, I would say that the markets that we serve are, um, we, I mean, we are in every facet of life, all state sizes, um, all creed colors, and we ride everything. So approach us accordingly. Um, leave any preconceived notions you have about what types of vehicles you think we might be interested in at the door and do the work of getting to know us individually. That will definitely increase your revenue. Excellent. Jamie, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Women want to be heard. And all you have to do is listen. Listen to what we're asking for. Be supportive, be encouraging, be all-inclusive. And uh, the biggest thing is be accessible. You know, bring, you know, have events where we can try out riding your bikes. Have events where you're just trying to connect us with each other. Um, just being involved in our community will help gain our trust. And that will translate into sales. Oh, man. What a way to wrap that up. <laughs> trust, commitment to the audience. I have got to uh, give out a genuine, heartfelt thanks to uh, both of our guests today. Jamie Dempsey, Development and Production Director at Atwild. Portia Taylor, Owner and Editor-in-Chief of Black Girls Ride Magazine. All right, so listen up. I'm going to talk to you dealers um, and industry directly. There are These are only two of the voices that are making a difference in your sales. So it's time to, for you guys, uh, men and women out there, to consciously analyze how your dealerships and businesses are addressing female customers. So I'm going to give you a tactic. 
send in a trusted female secret shopper and to see if you're doing it right. See if your assumptions about your dealership are right. I'm going to bet most of you guys are going to be surprised out there. And those of you who blow off that suggestion, your blinders might be on too tight. Yeah. It might be on too tight for you to succeed in a changing market. So you got to address your attitude before you're going to have success. All right. So we're going to wrap things up tonight. The upcoming e-newsletter is coming to an ear, uh, an inbox near you guys. It's going to feature articles that dive deeper into our discussed topics. You can subscribe at uh, continuetheride.com. Um, don't forget to follow the motorcycle shows on all our platforms, especially LinkedIn for Center Stand. And our next episode is going to dive into the importance of the motorcycle entertainment and how dealers can support this community. We've got two amazing guests, Brian Carroll from Why We Ride, both the movie and the charity rides, and uh, my friend Kelly Yazdi of Wild Gypsy Tours, who's been on the forefront of uh, sort of female mototainment events and is part of this amazing sisterhood that we just experienced today. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining us on Center Stand, the podcast for the motorcycle industry produced by the Progressive International Motorcycle Shows. We will see you down the road. Keep, 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 keep.